I got a little word this morning that I'm, 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 it's been on my mind for a few days now. Uh, like I said, you know, and I've been encouraging you to use your cell phone, your smartphone, as an opportunity to have devotions and devotionals and studies sent to you. You know, your favorite Bible teachers from on TV, you know, if you like Copeland or if you like Billy Graham or, you know, any of the other people, you can have devotionals sent to you. Good stuff. And what that will do is it will help you keep on track with staying in the Word. It's, it's a tool that we have that we can use. And so uh, I have my devotional sent to me. And one this week had to do with, uh, I think it's John chapter 6. Let me take a look here and see. It is John chapter 9. I'm sorry. One of the other ones was John 6. But John 9, verses 1 through 23. And it's got to do with uh, Jesus healing a blind man. I'm going to talk about several things this morning. There, there, there are four or five sort of talking points that I want to share with you this morning uh, in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 23 that I think we need to, some of us just need to be reminded of them. Some of this stuff is going to be stuff you've already heard, stuff you've known for years, but we need to be reminded of it. Other stuff may be fresh in you. But uh, Jesus' ministry never ceases to amaze me. He always had purpose and intent with everything he's ever done. And it goes not only from our salvation, but also for our restoration, our redemption, for our daily lives, for healing, for deliverance, for instruction, just for, for blessing. He, you know, he blesses us with his company. Jesus has promised to never leave us and forsake us. There's so many things that Jesus has done. And he does on a continual basis that we don't even recognize many times. But the scripture is wonderful and it gives us it gives us a picture of who he is and what's in his heart and why he did and does the things he did and even does today for us so anyway it's John chapter 9 he and his disciples were taking a walk just kind of strolling along and it's during those strolls and doing those travels and those uh, Jesus is passing from one place to another it's amazing to me how many times they just looked at something. And someone would make an observation, and Jesus would take that opportunity to do something extraordinary. And so, just sort of as a precursor to this whole thing, it's in those ordinary moments of the day where nobody really has anything planned other than they're going from here to there, they're doing this or they're doing that. It's during those ordinary moments of the day that Jesus many times will do his best work in our life. And so I don't want you to ever think, and, and when you leave here, you know, this afternoon shouldn't just be usual and ordinary. you got Jesus with you. He's living on the inside of you. And so Jesus is wanting to do something today. He's wanting to do something now. It's not all, we, we talk about what we'll do when we leave here, but it's what Jesus wants to do now. And so let's take a look at some of this stuff, okay? As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples questioned him. And this is going to be our first talking point. Rabbi, teacher, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? <laughs> right here is something we see revealed as part of human nature. Now, don't raise your hand, 
But let me ask a question. Have you ever seen somebody in a condition or a place of distress? And it just sort of ran through your mind. And it, it, could, be, it could be severe. It could be any degree of severe. And it just ran through your mind. Well, I wonder what he did wrong or she did wrong for her to get or him to get in this kind of place. Why do we come up with a notion like that? What would cause us to ask that question? What would cause us to ponder the idea that God just might have done something to cause, or, or, or what this person might have done something to cause a response from God in judgment? Think about it. You can answer if you want to. It's okay. We're among friends. Why do you think this comes up sometimes? Sorry? Why him and not me? Sometimes it's, it's a response of humility. You see a situation, and you think, wow, you know, I've done rough things. But for the grace of God, there go I. Okay, what else? Generational curses. And you're, you're reading my, you, you, you must have read my notes. Generational curses. You know, there's some, there some diseases and there's some things that are passed from generation to generation and some children are more apt to have than somebody else's children are apt to have. For example, there are things in, in my family lineages, medical conditions that um, that's kind of passed from generation to generation or that's the way it would appear. We call those things generational curses. Someone could have spoke that on my lineage and it's just... Lingered along through years. Now, I'm glad to be a part of a fellowship that when we recognize something like that, wrong in us or our family tree or our family lineage that, that, that could be a generational curse, I'm glad that I'm part of a, a church and a body of people who will take authority over that thing and break it off. Okay? Any other suggestions as to why we would look at someone like these disciples, look at this man born blind and say, who sinned, him or his parents? Mm -hmm. False teaching. Or <laughs> we met the family. You know, and sometimes... And I want to go back to what Daylene talked about, false teaching. A lot of times that's conditioned in us because we have a wrong view of God. We've been presented a wrong view of God. Now, I'm going to kind of skip ahead in my notes and say this. Go ahead. Early in some of my uh, some ministry that I did at, at the altar one time, it was a, a young woman, and uh, she had had a a, um, a tragedy in her family, and it had been several years, but um, with the loss of a child, and she began to cry, and some of where she was going 
to service at the time told her that had she not um, been in sin that she would have not lost her child. That, that's false, false teaching. That's, that's something, and that was very much embedded in her. That she, um, so that's where I get that from. It, there's a lot of that out there. Yeah, and if you don't have enough faith, you, yeah, that, that, that whole thing. That whole thing. Now, one of the, the, the overwhelming point here to me, at least part of it, is that Jesus, in this whole discourse, he was teaching his disciples not to prejudge people in their conditions. Okay? We, we, we should never, ever, ever prejudge people concerning their conditions because we simply, number one, don't know and we can't place ourselves in a position of knowing and making an assumption like somebody assumed over this woman it was because of her living situation that caused the death of the child. We can't presume or assume anything about any other person to come to a place of prejudgment. Okay? cannot do that. Jesus is teaching them not to do that. Because usually and ordinarily, if any of us have ever been or had the opportunity like this to prejudge somebody, you know, chances are we're always wrong. Whether we, I, you want to admit it or not, we are usually wrong when we prejudge. And even if, even if we happen to hit it, the nail on the head... We should not ever, in a public way, make any kind of statement along that way because just like this little girl here, it could ruin her for life. It could mess her up. And we should not wield that kind of power or authority or control over anybody. It is just simply wrong. Sat. Yeah. Are we that pure? Isn't there, he said, isn't there enough sin in our lives anyway? And there is. And so number one, today, Jesus is taking the opportunity to remind us that we don't need to prejudge people in their suffering and in their condition. That's, that's not the point. The point here is something else altogether. It's just don't prejudge. Second thing is, now let's just let's just let's take it, let's take just a little further look at this. It's already been mentioned. Some conditions of God's dealing with humans are the result of sin. He does that. He, God, God will do that. But we shouldn't presume that's what he's doing. For example, <laughs> remember how uh, Simon the sorcerer was blinded? In the book of Acts, remember how in the book of Acts also Ananias and Sapphira were actually killed. Their life was taken from them because of what? They lied to God? Can you just imagine the questions that were asked when people saw Sapphira, uh, Ananias and Sapphira being carried away dead by men and people saying, well, what happened here? Well, the answer is they lied to God and God took their life. So God can judge because of sin. We need to realize that, okay? Can be done because of generational curses. 
like what Wayne said. Yeah, you could, that, that's those things that are passed on because of the stupidity of a parent. But we also have to enter into the equation one more thing, and this is kind of what I'm getting to. Is that there are some cases where God will use a preset condition in a person to accomplish a great thing. Jesus, and I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself or not, but Jesus actually talks to the disciples. Let's, read, let's, just, let's read down another verse or two, okay? If you don't have your Bible, let's read this on the wall. Jesus answered, neither did this man sin nor his parents. Now, you know, that had to rock somebody's world. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Here is what I'm talking about, a preset condition that God has used to bring forth something wonderful, big, glorious, and beyond our imagination. This man had blindness from birth in order that at some point in time, the works of God should be made manifest in him. It's like when Peter and John went through the eastern gate, or the gate called Beautiful, and they healed a man of his lameness. He'd been lame for what? How many years? 40 years. 40 years he'd been lame. It's like I told you before, Jesus, had Jesus, Peter, and John, and all the disciples had passed by this. He was carried there every day. And, and they all passed by him every time they went in that gate. But one day, Peter and John stopped. The anointing of God fell on them, and he said, he said, I don't have any money to give you, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He reached down, took his hand. The scripture says strength went to his ankle bones. The man stood up, took his cot, and he danced all over the temple compound. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And I'm convinced, as I read scripture, I am convinced. How many times, a lot of you have prayed for a lot of people to be healed. And a lot of people walk out just as sick and unhealed as they did when they come in. And we stand around and we try to figure out what went wrong. What kind of prayer we didn't pray right. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost just must not have been in it. it. Must have been because the other person's unbelief. It must have been because of my lack of faith. And we have this whole litany of things that might happen to us because we're disappointed that this person didn't, didn't walk away healed. Well, here's the thing. I'm, I'm believing... I'm believing that most cases like that, their time just ain't come yet, but God's going to heal them. You see, here's the thing. It's God's place to, to heal. He's the point of reference for all power to come forth out of that. But it doesn't take away our responsibility to pray for people to be healed, regardless of their situation and circumstance in life, body, soul, spirit, mind, whatever. But just because somebody isn't healed when I pray for them doesn't mean God's not working. It doesn't mean the scriptures are untrue. It simply means that this person hasn't really done anything wrong, but the works of God are going to be made manifest in them in short order. You know, 
That's kind of hard to swallow sometimes. But the truth is, there are some cases where God has allowed this certain thing to be in people's lives in order that a point in time the works of God will be made manifest in them. And we have to rejoice in that just as much as we do as we rejoice in the other stuff. And so today I'm telling you, keep on praying. Don't stop praying. Don't be afraid to pray regardless of the situation. Because the works of God are going to be made manifest. The scripture is not a liar. And the Holy Spirit is still at work. Just keep praying, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. And this is what Jesus said. Verse 4. We good with that point? Okay. We must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. I read this verse 4 and I got really happy. Now let me say this. In here, watch what he says. Jesus, in King James and a couple other versions, it said, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night comes when no man can work. And then there are a lot of other translations that come this way. We must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. Now, one of the reasons I like this is because the first part of it seems to work better with the last part of it in terms of interpretation. Jesus said this, We must work the works of him that sent me. In that statement, you know what Jesus is doing? He is incorporating us into the work of the Father. In other words, I work, and you work, we work together. I work, you work, we work together. Now, it is true that when Jesus was on the earth, he he had to work the works of the Father because his day was coming when he wasn't going to be able to work anymore. He had a mission, a purpose, and a passion in the earth that only he could accomplish. That is true, and it is also true That Jesus incorporates us into what he's doing now. See, Jesus ain't dead. He's still alive. And he's still at work. And he's resident in you. And he's resident in me. And we have the power of God in our bodies. And as we go forward, we are working with him. In other words, we're in cooperation with him. And God has ordained it that way. So one does not contradict the other, but they both work the same. Both of those points are true, whether it's we must work or I must work. It's the same thing. And I am really glad that God has chosen you and He's chosen me as earthy, sometimes weak, sometimes confused people to get His work done. Don't you know that frustrates the enemy to no no end? You see, Jesus knows me. He knows who I am. He knows my good points and He knows my bad points. But you see, the enemy also knows me. He knows, he, he knows all of my bad points. And he really hates my good points. And don't you know it frustrates him to no absolute end whenever God takes an individual like you or me and uses them to do the work of the Father to accomplish something great? To cause the manifests of the Father, I mean the works of the Father to manifest publicly? Just must drive him nuts. We might need to make a t-shirt. On the back of it, it might need to read, I'm driving the devil nuts. 
about it. Would you wear that t-shirt, I'm driving the devil nuts? <laughs> hey, what if we put a big sign up on the front of this building like a 40 by 10? We are driving the devil nuts. And underlined it and put an explanation point on it. Or put it in the paper? It would make the paper. Can you believe? Hey, I'm, I'm huh, what, Crystal? Make a t-shirt for real. Hey, listen, do you know what would happen? Listen. Do you know how irre, almost irresistible that t-shirt or, or, or this sign would be to people riding up and down the highway? What are they doing to drive the devil nuts? I need to go there and see. <laughs> yeah, there are other people on it. Now, let me ask you this. Was that, a, was that a Keith idea or a God idea? Would we do that, though? If it's a God idea, would we do that? And this, this by the way, ain't nothing that I had in my sermon notes up here. But let's explore this for just a minute. If we are working with the Lord to cause the works of God to be manifest, and we believe that we are driving the devil nuts, would we do that on a big sign out in front of the building? <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's kind of a cool idea. <laughs> oh, my. I don't know. We just might need to think about that. Anyway, the point here is Jesus encouraged his disciples to work with him to accomplish the work of the Father because there's a day coming when we're not going to be able to do that anymore. When is that day for you? I don't know. When is that day for me? I don't have a clue. I hope that... I'm here to see the Lord when He comes. But anyway, there's a day coming one way or the other when we're not working anymore. Jesus said this, while I am in the world, I'm the light of the world, verse 5. Next slide. When He had heard, when he had thus spoken, He spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and anointed His eyes with the clay. Next. And said unto Him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is... By interpretation, sent, he went away, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Let's stop for just a minute. This whole narrative, this whole instance, this, 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 the record of what Jesus did with the blind man is literal, it's physical, it really happened. But it also represents a spiritual transaction of Jesus. It represents, we know that the, the scripture declares that the whole world lays in darkness. We understand that when we, are in, when we are not regenerated, when we're not born again, when we're not saved, that we're in darkness. Everything about our life is dark. This whole encounter with the blind man shows us a bigger picture of what Jesus is and what he has done with us and what he's done to sin. Jesus comes into our lives to rid us of the darkness of sin, to illuminate our eyes and to, and to born us again, to give us light, to give us sight, so to speak, so we can see, live, and do in the light and no more be captured and consumed by darkness. Jesus comes in our life to give us light. He's the light of the world. 
That's what this is all about. Jesus now is doing something to this blind man in a physical way to show us a spiritual point. And so Jesus, now this, this, blind, this blind guy is not seeing anything. He's not seeing nothing. And Jesus, the only way he would know what Jesus is doing when he spit is if Jesus went... Now I can spit and you not hear it. You can be looking at me and you can see me, but I can spit and you not hear it. So Jesus spits, and he takes where he spat on the ground, where it fell on the dust, and on the temple mount where, where they were at, it is clay dirt, clay soil. And so he just kind of rolls that around just a minute, and he takes it. And remember, this blind man cannot see what Jesus is doing. And all of a sudden, he feels Jesus' dirty fingers full of sand and something wet going into his eyes. I hate a piece of sand in my eyes with the passion. I hate any kind of foreign material in my bedander, dust, dirt, whatever. But if Pharaoh was to come and poke his finger in my eye with dirt on it, I would probably have a response that may not be appropriate in most circles, but I, I would cold cock him if I, could, if I could do something. At the very least, move him out of the way. So you've got to see what's happening here. This blind man didn't see it coming. Literally. And all of a sudden, he's got two eyes full of mud. And the person, listen, the person... Telling him to do this says, oh, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now look, this is what we're getting at. Now, Janie and me and Daylene and Cheryl and Monica have been to this place. How many of y'all have been to the pool of Siloam other than that? Raise your hand. Where this occurred was on the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is up on top of the hill or the mountain where Jerusalem is built. Okay? In terms of distance where it is, I would say Siloam, it is down the hill from the Temple Mount, probably four or five hundred yards at least. How, how easy of a walk is it to get there, y'all, those of you who have been? Now, you know the time we had when we were down there, we had to come up the hill. You remember how, how big of a trek that was? That's right. There was actually a really nice little highway walking area. But in the day this happened, from where he was at when Jesus put mud in his eye, at least 500 yards down, a 45-degree angle. It's rocky, slippery, dirty. The path twisted and winded down the hill. This man, of course, he was blind. I'm sure he had went that way before. But now to complicate things, he's probably went down that hill 
I don't know how many times, but to complicate things, he was in a little bit of physical distress because he had mud in his eyes and he was hurting a little bit. I'm, didn't he? I mean, is it possible to have mud on your eyes and not hurt a little bit? Imagine what he was thinking on his way down. I'm just going to take his place for just a bit. You know, this, who, I don't know who it is, but somebody messed up my eyes and now he told me to go to Siloam and wash. And he's thinking, how am I going to get there maybe? Maybe somebody, you know, maybe somebody did help him. But that was not his only challenge going down the hill to get to Siloam. Kim, have you got that picture you can put up? Watch this. Here's what Siloam actually looks like. This picture was taken from the road, from the street, from the path that everybody uses to go up and down out of the Kedron Valley up to the Temple Mount. So it was taken from up above. This is the Pool of Siloam. It was actually rediscovered in 2005. They did excavations. They were doing some work beside this road. And the guy in charge of the excavation saw, they were digging, and he saw a couple steps going down. And he stopped everything, and they began to pursue the steps going down. And they got all the rubble and all the trash out. And when they got to the bottom, they found Hezekiah's temple leading into, Sil- leading into Siloam from the city of David. And they discovered the pool of Siloam. Again, they rediscovered it in 2005. But now this picture was taken from up where they were at working on this, on this, uh, this path or this road. You can't even see the top of it, but if you look from water level, you've got this big archway. That's where Hezekiah's tunnel comes out. You've got that archway, and then you've got that little barred window up at the top. This picture was taken a minimum of two and a half to three stories up the side of that hill. And in the days of this blind man... When you're coming down the road, there were the, the, the big limestone steps that led down into it. He had to come down the road and he had to walk down the steps. And he had to go down there where the water was. Would you say that would be an easy feat to accomplish? If you were blind and hurting? Rolling down the hill, yes. And so what, the, the thing I'm, I'm putting into your head is, this is not a simple transaction. This was complicated by Jesus himself. In this case, Jesus could have said, you'd be healed. Or touched his eyes and bam, they'd have been open. But Jesus complicated the whole matter for this man. Have you ever felt like Jesus complicated your life? (laughs) Well, now you know what the blind man felt like, just a little. You see, Jesus... In order for us, in order for the works of God to be manifested in our life, Jesus has the option to complicate our lives, to get us to where we have to do some act of faith. We have to be obedient in some degree to get us to where the works of God will be manifested in our life. And and then we fuss and we complain and we whine and we mullygrub because Jesus has made our life so doggone complicated. Why couldn't he just do it in a simple way? Why can't he just speak it into existence? Why can't he just touch this and make it all right? Well, you know what? That's not his purpose all the time. 
Because He is looking to expand your faith and to build your faith into something that's worthwhile and glorious that will reflect the love and the heart of God Himself and the full measure of grace He wants to extend in your life. That's why it's been so hard. I'm just going to preach here. That's why it's been so hard for my wife and I. That's why her life has been so difficult. It's because God is developing a faith in her that absolutely cannot and will not be shaken. That's why Farrell and Natasha goes through what they do. That's why Jay goes through what he does. That's why Daylene goes through what she does. Melissa and Kim and Greg and Deborah and Beverly and the Callies and the Caraways and Chris and Lynn and these two precious sisters back here whose families have just been all kind of messed with in life. And Tanisha and Warren and all those people who aren't here. That's what God is doing. And so therefore, if he chooses to put mud in my eye and tell me to go somewhere and wash that's difficult to get to, I'm going to go. And you want to know something else? He did not tell this man when he got to the pool of Siloam that he'd receive his sight. Check the scripture and see. He didn't say, go down there and wash in Siloam and you'll come forth see. Boy, if he'd have told him that, he'd have been running down that hill. And he probably would have wound up at the bottom. Because I'm telling you, that's a walk. But this man goes down the hill, goes down the steps into that water. And isn't it so clean? Isn't it sparkly? It It looks like crystal clear water. You get out of one of these plastic bottles. Crystal springs. Crystal springs. That water is not clean. God only knows what was growing in the pool. It's a good thing he couldn't see it, probably. Yeah, I see that. But here's what the the dude who messed you up says, go wash in this dirty water. And he doesn't know it's dirty, I guess. Okay, let's just play this thing out for just a minute. See, this is what I tell you sometimes. When you're reading the scripture, you just got to stop and think, And you got to understand that what Jesus calls us to do inconveniences us many times. This guy finally finds the pool out of some way. And he gets that. The only way you can get to the water is at least bend over. Probably get on your knees if you're blind to keep yourself from falling in it. And then having to swim out. But he bends down. He washes it out of his eyes. Gets the dirt off and kind of bats his eyelids probably, you know, and... All of a sudden, well, wait a minute. I see a little light. You know, that's the way it is when God's delivering you from your circumstance. And, and when he's delivered you from it, all of a sudden, you, you, you begin to see a little light. And, all, and then he sees rocks, and he sees the pool, and he sees the steps, and he looks around, and he's seeing stuff he's never seen before because he's... He was born blind. Can you imagine that the, in that pool right then, can you imagine how happy he began to get? Now, just sort of, I'm going to back off. We're going to come back to him in just a little bit. I'm going to back off and I'm going to share something with you. It's from the pool of Siloam that during the Feast of Tabernacles, the high priest would bring a golden pitcher. He would scoop down and get water. He would go up those steps out of there to the pathway there he would be met by a mob of worshipers. They would go up the hill to, uh, to the temple mount with this jug full of water. 
in a golden pitcher, and they would sing the hallel all the way up it. They were singing hallelujah and praise the Lord all the way up it. The priest would carry, he would enter into the temple, he would go to where the altar was in, in the public area, he would take that pitcher of water and he would pour it out at the base of the altar. It was part of their ceremony. Jesus was standing there the next year. I think it was the next year. He was standing there the next year when he went to Jerusalem. And he was watching this. He was actually, he was actually in this procession or in this great mass of people who were going there for, this, for, uh, for worship. And when the, when the high priest begins to pour the water out at the base of the altar, the scripture records that Jesus began to give a discourse that he was the water of life, and if any man should come to him, he would never thirst again. He interrupted everything the priest was doing and began to talk about this water that was being poured out and who he was in relationship to it and what would happen if people would just trust him. And so this is the place from which the blind man began to walk. As he walked up the stairs, you know what the first thing he sees when he hits the, when he hits the, pave, when he hits the pavement, when he hits the road? If, 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 if this is the last step and he steps up and he looks up, right there is the temple that he'd never seen. Right here is the Kidron Valley he'd never seen. Right there is the Mount of Olives he had never seen. Right there was the city of David that he had never seen. But where the Hezekiah's temple, I mean where Hezekiah's tunnel leads down to the... Um, pool of Siloam originates but right there was the temple he gets up he goes right back to the place where he was healed at and causes this gigantic stir because you see when light does away with darkness there's a controversy is coming because light has disturbed the kingdom of of darkness and darkness cannot stand to leave it alone without a response and darkness responds when he got up there here's a cool thing let's go back to the scripture just a second Kim let's read down a few verses I want to show you something extraordinary about this spiritual transaction that Jesus is talking about here it is <laughs> it's so funny the neighbors therefore and they that saw him aforetime that he was a beggar, said, Is this not he that sat and begged? Next one. Others said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He said, I am he. <laughs> Here you go. This guy who was blind and who begged in the temple, his neighbors and the people who knew him didn't even recognize him. Now, the way I read Scripture, i got to stop here and say, why didn't they recognize him? Anybody got any ideas? Why didn't they recognize this man? He'd washed. He was happy. What? His whole countenance. Had he was out of context. What else? I just find that it is hilarious that people who knew him said, this ain't him. Listen, when God saves somebody, when He gives them light, when He casts the kingdom of darkness out of them, and they become a new creature in Christ, one of the typical responses from people even who knew the individual who just got saved would say, 
Boy, she's not the same girl she used to be. Who is this? Who is this? We do that all the time. How many times have those of you who've ministered at the altar or somewhere else and you've prayed for somebody and you got through praying, their face had changed the way it looks? That's because Jesus rested on them. That's because the Holy Spirit touched them. And a lot of times, this is what I say, their face will flatten out. Just flatten out. There's no more worry on their face. There's no more concern in their eyes. They're actually smiling. But you see, when Jesus brings light to an individual, they don't look the same and they don't act the same. You see, that is, that is, one, of the, that is one of the great principles of spiritual life is that when Jesus comes into the life of a person, they are never, ever, ever the same. And they don't look like and they don't talk like and they don't act like their former self. They look like, they talk like, and they act like Jesus. That's right. That's the way that works. One of the genuine tests of a person's salvation is, are they different? Yes, they're different. Okay, let's go with it. Are they not different? If they're not different, chances are it ain't Jesus. That's why today, that's why the last several weeks we have been talking about people... I say people. We talked about the institutional church has in some way changed the message or altered it to a degree where people don't have to... In many cases, the message of repentance is not preached. Repent, believe, and be baptized. That's the way of the Scripture. That's the way of the Gospel. That's the way Jesus said get it done. There's got to be a change. Here's what I believe, me, for my personal self. I believe that you know, when God saved me, if, if God had not saved me, I believe I'd be dead by now. That's what I believe. I don't believe I'd even be in this world. I'd be in some grave somewhere with a tombstone that read, Born January the 2nd, 1958, died so-and-so and so-and-so. That's what I believe. But Jesus has come. That we might have light. Jesus has come that he might demonstrate even 2,000 years beyond his death that his blood still working. Because people look at those that Jesus saves and they can see light. They don't see darkness. They see a difference. They see all that good stuff that goes along with the gospel. Now, I'm going to make a confession here. Confession is this. There was a point in time. And I won't bother you when that time was, but it was a, it was a, a, a way long time ago. When I had trouble believing that it was the heart of Jesus to heal people who were not saved. I did. I, I had a. I went through a short. It was a period, but it was a real short period. <laughs> okay. That I didn't really think, and this is me. I didn't really think that Jesus was into healing people who weren't saved. Boy, was I wrong. Scripture is loaded down with cases where people were not saved, yet Jesus healed them. 
People were not saved, yet the apostles healed them. Were not saved, but the church prayed, laid hands on them or whatever, and they were healed. Where strangers just walked in the door and they saw the glory of God. And whatever it was wrong with them was not wrong with them anymore. And that was done that that might be a testimony to Jesus Christ who had given His life for us. Listen, it just makes God happy so much that, that people who are not saved get healed. It delights the Lord so much that people who are not saved get saved. And so see, here's where, and I don't think you guys have a problem with this, but here's where the body of Christ today has got to make some kind of a transition. We've got to stop treating sinners like, like they're dirt, like they're carrying, like they are uh, some, a possessor of, of something that will just jump off of them onto you in any minute. We've got the church today has got to get to the place where it embraces, blesses, prays for, heals all kinds of people everywhere because that's what Jesus did. He didn't cull it. Matter of fact, let's think about something. Did Jesus ever heal anybody who was saved? I don't know. I can't give you an answer to that. Just go read the scripture. Peter's mother-in-law. What about the blind guys beside the road? You know, I don't know. What about, you know, we could make an argument that the Holy Spirit was working in the life of Zacchaeus. He was at least interested. But the thing is this. <laughs> right along beside the road is where Jesus did a lot of his miracles in healing people. Just walking along by here and there sits Judy and stop. Oh, there she is. She needs to be healed. Yep, just heal her right here. Bam, Jesus' name, be healed. Boom, it's done. The point I'm making this morning is this. Is we have to be as liberal with the life of Christ in us as Jesus was with his own life. We have to be as gracious as he was to everyone we come across. He was gracious and he blessed and he helped. Now he did have a message for the Pharisees. And if you read this scripture... Or if you read this uh, narrative, you'll find that he had a message for the Pharisees. So anyway, fine, let's just keep going because we're going to get somewhere. Let's, say, let's just read a little bit. We're about done here. They said, therefore, unto him, how then were your eyes open? He said, the man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said, go unto, he said unto me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and I washed and I received my sight. A very accurate recounting of what Jesus did. And they said unto him, where is he? He said, I don't know. <laughs> they bring to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. In other words, they, they, they couldn't get the answers they were looking for, so they just uh, take him and carry him to the Pharisees because they were all over the temple on the Sabbath, and they're going to let the Pharisees deal with him. So next verse. Now, it was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. There's Jesus again pushing a button. Again, therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. And he said unto them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Now, you see, he's getting a little irritated with the questions because his answer got shorter. Let me think about it for a minute. Okay. Some, therefore, of the Pharisees said, This man is not 
from God because he keeps not the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. See, Jesus pushing the buttons of the Pharisees, bringing division even amongst the council, some saying he is and some saying he ain't. Have you ever noticed Jesus does that? Why in the world do people think wherever Jesus is, there's always going to be peace? I mean, listen, we've got to think about this for just a minute. You know, he brought part of this whole thing with the man who was going to display the works of God, and the works of God was going to be manifested in his life. Part of it was the division of the Pharisaical council. It's just, I tell y'all, God's got a plan. Okay, next one. They say therefore unto the blind man again, What say you of him in that he opened your eyes? And he said he is a prophet. Now who told him he was a prophet? I gave this some thought and I'll just tell you what I think. Why he called him a prophet. Because he made a connection between Elisha, Elijah and all of the Old Testament prophets. They were the ones that worked miracles. And so this man standing before him, if he worked a miracle, at the very least he was a prophet. Had to be stories. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a good point because now his, his, his eyesight, his, what he was seeing and what he's experienced, was now he, 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 was, he was meshing with what he'd heard and a picture was coming together. Isn't that cool? I like that. That's good. Good observation. He's a prophet. Boy, that stirred him up. The Jews did not believe this about him. He was blind and received sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received the sight. So they called mom and daddy now. I'm telling you, you see how this thing is just kind of growing and mushrooming and blossoming into a powder keg? They ask him, is this your son? You say he was born blind. How does he now see? He says, Here's mom and daddy. We know this is our son and that he was born blind. His parents answered. But we don't know how he now sees. And we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him he is of age. He will speak for himself. <laughs> In other words, we're not going to tell you. We're keeping our mouth shut. Talk to him. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. You see, this is it. Afraid of losing something. This is why his parents said, he is of age Ask him. And in all due fairness, his parents didn't know who healed him other than the confession of their son. But there was this fear of the Pharisees that kept the confession or the word or identity of Jesus from coming forth. How many times have we been afraid to confess the name of Jesus and declare something of his works because we're afraid of the reprisal of people who hear us Afraid of what they'll say, do, or think about us. And so see, Jesus in this, in this narrative, in John chapter 9, I'm telling you something. He interrupts people's lives. He does things that are inexplainable and extraordinary, things that we would think would be mean and callous. Hey, listen, what if somebody came in here blind and wanted to be prayed for? We'd do that immediately, wouldn't we? But if God said, go spit and stick the mud in his eyes, how many of us would go out the door 
spit, make mud, come here and stick them in the eye with it. Daylene would if he told her to. If we knew it was from God. But see, that's, that's one of those... That, what did he say? <laughs> Jesus, now see, Jesus didn't hesitate. I would have the tendency probably to hesitate, even if I heard the voice of God and said, okay, this is God. I'm going I'm to probably, I just, I'm going to tell you how I am. I'm going to probably stand there and think about it a little while. Okay. Most of it wouldn't have mattered. Because there's the hot button issue. And here's the real thing at stake. Do what, Crystal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, here's the thing. If you go on to read this, and if you read the whole chapter, what you'll discover is the Pharisees made an absolute confession that they were Moses' students or Moses' disciples. They followed Moses and not Jesus, which means they followed everything in the ceremonial law. And because of what Jesus did, they discounted everything he did because he acted on the day that was most holy to them and what he did was considered work. Probably not. But here's the thing. And the, old, and, and, and the scripture always builds on scriptural truth. Okay? And here's the scriptural truth. Jesus came to fulfill the law. It's jot and it's tittle. Jesus came to fulfill the law and establishment righteousness. See? His righteousness in us. Because the scripture goes on to teach that we are the righteousness of God in Him. We are not the Moses of God in Him. We are not the ceremonial law of God in Him. We are the righteousness of God in Him. And this whole thing transpires and it happens... To, for Jesus to be able to build upon the single biblical truth that salvation comes from the Lord, righteousness is established by the work of Jesus on the cross, and it's permanent in us, and that we have now entered into His eternal rest. And so that's right. See, Jesus does everything for a purpose. And in, in Scripture, in, in, in places like this, there's always a practical truth in application and there's always a greater spiritual truth in application. And so the physical application is that this man was healed by going and doing what Jesus told him to do even after Jesus messed with him. That's the same thing true today. Go and do what Jesus said, even when he messes with you. And always hold up the blood of Jesus in his righteousness. And if there's somebody here today who doesn't know Jesus, who's not made the confession, but who understands this, you know, today's your day. Today's your day. It's a glorious day. It's that day. If Jesus has showed himself to you and who he is, this is the day that you wash the dirt out of your eyes. This is the day that you get your sight. This is the day that you learn how to walk, to go up and to go down, to go in and to out, go all around, to allow and to participate in the work of God being manifest in your life and in your destiny. See, that's what this is about. 
Isn't that cool? That is so cool. And so as we come to the conclusion today, let's pray and let's give an offer. Let's, let's give an opportunity. Father, in Jesus' name, this man had to, ask the, had to answer the question of the people who knew him, his neighbors and the Pharisees. Who was this person who healed you? And he'd not yet seen the person who healed him. But later on, y'all, keep reading, you'll find where Jesus found this man and he met him and he revealed himself to him. And Jesus said, do you know who the Son of Man is? And he said, tell me or show me, Lord, so I can believe on him. And Jesus said, he that talks to you, or in other words, I am he. And the man believed on Jesus and was saved. It's a glorious thing. So, Lord, we today are in the same place. We're in the place where we need to answer the question of who this man is. Those of us who have been saved, we need to boldly declare that he's Jesus. To everyone we know and everyone we come across, when they ask us the question about our testimony or about our faith, we need to tell them it's all about Jesus. And Lord, if there's anybody here today, and I just invite you to come, if there's anybody here today who just got to know Jesus, He's just put the dirt in your eyes and you've just washed and you've seen him. Lord, if there's anybody here today, oh, cause them, to, cause them to believe on the name of the one that was sent, which is you, to repent, believe, and be baptized. Is there anybody here today? If it is, you can come. It's that simple. So, Lord, we rejoice this day in what you've done. God, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> keep doing what you're doing. Use dirt. Use spit. Use whatever means necessary, Lord, in your loving way to draw all men and women to you. And, Lord, we wouldn't... I wouldn't dare stop praying today unless I prayed for the Muslims in our community and in our nation, dear God. I just ask, we've prayed so many times for you to arrest them with your love, to send them dreams and to send them visions, not only for the Muslims, Lord, but for all those who are unsafe, to draw them out, to bring them close to you. But Lord, today, especially the Muslims. And did y'all know that God is sending Muslims dreams and visions in an unparalleled way? I'm reading reports that effect on people that I, from people that I trust on Facebook and other places that God is really visiting the Muslims. And so Lord we just ask you to increase that and as you give visitation with the Muslims we just ask you Lord that somehow some way in your great providence that you send people their way who would explain to them what they're seeing and what they're experiencing so they might be saved. And so God we're looking for a great great awakening in our country. This great renaissance of people, Lord, once again coming to you. Because you are the author and finisher, not only of our faith, but theirs. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.